him. I've not gotten popular. I've not gotten any money. I've not gotten any fame. So is what I have gained in Jesus worth what I have given up in the world? That's the question that they're asking. Is it worth it? And that's a good question for all of us here today. Because as Christians, we've given up some things. We've turned our back on the world. We've given up our sin. We've given up our self-righteousness. We've given up our own ways, our own selfishness. We've turned our back on some things in order to follow Jesus Christ. And the question before us here today is, is the things that I gained in Jesus worth more than the things that I lost in the world? And Jesus here tells these parables to let them know, again, painting a picture on the canvas of our minds of the value, he says, of the kingdom of heaven. And you ask that question, and I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. What is the kingdom of heaven? And I've gotten a lot of answers from a lot of different commentaries and a lot of different men who tell you what the kingdom of heaven is. But let me just tell you in in short and and in simple form, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus and everything that He offers. It's Jesus as the King and the kingdom that He gives us in salvation. It's Jesus, and I said it in the earlier service, and the whole ball of wax. It's everything that you could ever imagine that Jesus gives. When He says the kingdom of heaven, it is Jesus and everything that He offers us. So in this parable, Jesus is the pearl. In these parables, Jesus is the treasure. I wrote down a few things here. Jesus is precious. Jesus is priceless. Jesus is incomparable. Jesus is incalculable. Jesus is irreplaceable. There's nothing in the world that comes close to comparing to Jesus Christ. He is a treasure of all treasures. Colossians 2.3 says that in Him, Jesus, is hidden all the riches and treasures of the world. I love that. I love that Jesus is our treasure. I love that you guys have shown up here today because He is your treasure. That nothing is is more valuable than Jesus. He is heaven's treasure. He is the treasure of all treasures. That's why we come here every Sunday. That's why we we listen on, on Facebook Live. Because we believe that Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. He is the priceless treasure. So today, and this is the dominant theme of these two parables, I want to show you the all surpassing, infinite value of Jesus Christ. I want to show you that what you gained in Him is worth all that you have lost in giving up the world. So I want you to see that. I want you to be convinced of just how valuable He is. And if you're here today and you're lost, you're an unbeliever, I want you to have true riches and eternal wealth that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So let me outline this passage for you today. I want to take these two parables together and I want to show you the priceless treasure that is Jesus Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes... I want to show you the priceless discovery. The priceless discovery. Because both of these parables show how the treasure was found. If you look at verse 44, you'll see that the guy had to go out and dig for it. He went and had to find it. He's digging in the ground to find, to discover this treasure. And then the second one is, is of the pearl of great price. This guy had to go out in pursuit of the pearl. He had to go and find it. He had to discover it. So I want to show you the priceless discovery of Jesus Christ. You'll see there in verse 44, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that's hid in a field. You say, why in the world is a treasure hid in a field? Because in that time, they didn't have what we have, a bank. We get our money and we take it. And usually, most of us don't, don't take it and put it in a, in a safe deposit box. And then we take it in, out in our backyard and we get a shovel and we dig a hole and we put it down in there. We take our money and most of us, we put it in a bank. 
Bank of America, BB&T, Pow Valley National. You put your money in a bank. It's going to be safe in a bank. Well, they didn't have banks then, so you know what they did with it? They would take their valuables. They couldn't leave it in their house. They didn't have banks. If you left it in the house, there could be people come in and, and steal it. So you had to take your money, your valuables, everything that you held dear in life, and you would put it into a, a chest, and then the father would take it out in the field at night so nobody would know where it was, and he would put it, dig a hole, and he'd put that chest down in there, and that's where all the valuables of the family were. Well, this has apparently happened here in this parable because this man goes out, and he's looking through a field. Probably what they say is he's wanting to buy that field. So he's going to, going to look at it and see what it looks like. And he's going to try to figure out whether he really wants to buy it or not. And, and walking through the field, he trips over or he, he accidentally finds, he, he stumbles upon unexpectedly the greatest treasure his eyes has, have ever seen. A treasure that makes all other tre treasures pale in comparison. He finds a treasure that makes all other gold and silver and, and precious stones look like sand and rocks. He finds a treasure that is extraordinary, that is beyond anything he's ever imagined. He finds something that is unbelievable. He cannot believe what he has tripped upon. We have an old saying, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's how this guy feels. I've just found the greatest treasure in the history of the world and, and I want it. So there's the treasure hunt. And let me show you the pearl. In verses 45 and 46, this guy doesn't find a treasure in a field. He, he finds a pearl. And a pearl was, and I, I know I've got to give you a lot of backstory on this, but a, a pearl was the queen, called the queen of all gems. It was the highest valuable uh, commodity in that time. So much so that in, I think it's in 1 Timothy that Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't let the women wear pearls to church. Because they're going to look like they're high and, and uppity and, and rich. And even in heaven, the, the, there's going to be pearls on the walls. And it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because pearls was the most valuable gem in the world. And you know why it was valuable? I, I need to tell you this. Why is a pearl so valuable? Because it's so hard to get. You know where a pearl comes from? It comes from the mouth of a clam. Where are clams? The bottom of the sea. How do you get down to the sea? You've got to go down there and get it. How did they go down there and get it in that time? Well, they didn't have scuba gear. You know what they do? Take a man, tie him to a rock, throw him down in there. That's how they found that stuff. He risked his life to go down there and to pull up a, a single pearl. So if you went down there and risked your life to pull up a pearl, you better believe it's very rare. So they had these pearls. And this man here is out looking for pearls. He's going to buy. He says it's a merchant man. So he's going to buy. He's going to sell. He's going to trade. But then he finds one. You see that? He's out just, he's out going to all these people trying to, I got some, I got some of this and I'm going to trade this. I got some of this. I'm going to trade that. I want to buy this. And he goes and he finds. It says he's seeking pearls, but he finds one pearl. One. And this one pearl that he finds is perfect. It's rare. This one pearl makes all the other pearls look like coal. This pearl is beyond his wildest dreams. He never thought he could find a pearl like this one. So both of these men find something of highest value. They find something that is priceless. They, they find something that is the find of a lifetime. 
You say, what's this got to do with us? I mean, you should explain to us the parable. But what's the point of this parable? What does this mean to us? Well, first of all, I've already said it. When it comes to the treasure and it comes to the pearl, Jesus is of utmost value to, value to us. He is that pearl and he is that treasure. Jesus is that one rare, perfect treasure that is one of a kind, that is unlike anything the world can offer us, anything the world can give us. Jesus is that treasure. He's the extraordinary treasure. There's nothing in the world that compares to Jesus. And I'll ask you that. Is there anything in, and I want to, I'll explain it here in a minute, but there, is there anything in your life that compares to the value of Jesus Christ? On one hand, if you had scales, on one hand you had Jesus, and on the other hand you had what? And what would make Jesus go down that would be more valuable than Him? Is there anything in your life more valuable than Jesus Christ? Here he shows us that he is of utmost value. He also shows us that he's in a category all by himself. He's the most valuable, the most beautiful, the most unbelievable treasure that the world has ever seen. He far exceeds anything the world could ever offer you. And I ask that question because for some, they don't see it. They don't see the value and the beauty of Jesus. He's hidden, and the parable says that. Verse 44, it was, it, was, it was hid in the field. Verse 45 talks about the pearl that is, that is hid down in, in, the, in the depths of the ocean so that you have to go search for it and find it. It's hidden. It's not in plain sight. And, and, and many don't see the value in it. And many don't, don't find it. It's, it's not out there for all to see. And many miss the beauty and the value of Jesus. Jesus was humble and meek. Jesus was hidden in His earthly body. Jesus, even today, is hidden in a book, in a church, in a sermon. And many just don't understand how valuable He truly is. Why do you go to church the way you go to church? Why do you give the way you give? Why do you sing the way you sing? Why do you preach the way you preach? Why do you live the way you live? How can you live that way? I don't see why you give up so much for Jesus. The world says that. I don't understand. I don't get it. But we do. We see the value. We see the beauty. We see how sweet Jesus is. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to have Jesus and to live for Jesus because we see what the world don't see. How wonderful Jesus is. They don't think highly of Christ like we do. Their eyes must be opened. I can tell you how beautiful Jesus is and how wonderful Jesus is and how valuable Jesus is, but you must see it for yourself. I'm thankful that I grew up in a family where my mom and dad was constantly telling me how valuable Jesus is. I'm thankful that I grew up in a family that was constantly singing about how beautiful Jesus is and about how wonderful Jesus is. And they were constantly telling me how valuable, how beautiful, how, how wonderful Jesus is. But until my eyes were open to see the value of Jesus Christ, I didn't realize it. I didn't understand it. It was my mom and dad and what they valued. But until my eyes were opened, it was, it was hid from me as it's hid from most of the world that they just don't see how valuable and how wonderful Jesus truly is. So their eyes must be opened. The Bible says to those who believe, Jesus is precious. But to the unbelieving world, he's not. And that's exactly what's going on with the disciples here. They see how precious Jesus is. They see how wonderful he is. And they're sitting there in their minds and they're saying, why doesn't everybody else see what we see? 
Jesus' own family was turning away from him. And he had crowds that were saying, he's the son of Beelzebub. They're accusing him of all kinds of, of evil things. And there's only Jesus and 12 men. Why don't they see? Why don't they understand? And here we are in a, in a small church in southwest Virginia. And most of the world don't understand why we do what we do. They don't see how valuable Jesus is. That's why we preach the way we preach. That's why Jesus is so high and lofty in our view. High and lofty in our singing. High and lofty in our preaching. We want the world to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. We don't want them to see us. We don't want them to see our church. We want them to see Jesus. That's why Paul said we preach Him. We don't preach politics. We preach Him. We don't preach government. We preach Him. We preach Jesus Christ so the world can see that what we see, the value and the beauty of who He really is. So it's hidden from them. But these two men find it. I love this. I do. They find it in two different ways. And I think this would fall into all of our stories. The first one, look at this, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. That when a man goes and find, he finds it, he trips upon it. So I'll say this, the first man stumbles upon Jesus. Not expecting it. Not looking, and there it is. Wasn't going out searching for the treasure, but the treasure just happened to be at his feet. And, the, and there it was. And his eyes were open and, and he saw it. And he was amazed by it. And that's our story. Many of us just stumble upon Christ. Is that your story? That was Paul's story. If you guys know in Acts chapter 9, Paul wasn't going out looking for Jesus. He wasn't going out searching for Jesus. He wasn't going out saying, i got to find Jesus. He is valuable. He is precious. He is wonderful. He is beautiful. I need Jesus. He was going out to persecute Christians. He was going out because he hated Christ. And then out of nowhere, a light shined from heaven and Paul's eyes were opened to see the beauty and the value of Jesus. And he said, oh Lord, what would you have me to do? And he spent the rest of his life showcasing the value of Jesus to him. So he stumbled upon Jesus. I'll give you another one. Charles Spurgeon stumbled upon Jesus one day in church. It was the middle of winter. And he goes out to go to church on a, in the middle of a snowstorm. He wasn't looking for Jesus. And he shows up into a little small church where the pastor didn't show up. And a deacon had to get up and preach. And what did the deacon preach? Look unto him. Look unto him. Look unto him. And Charles Spurgeon, in his biography, he would say that. He said it wasn't much of a sermon at all. He just kept repeating himself. It's like he didn't prepare to preach that day. But all he kept saying was, look unto him. Look unto him. Look unto him. And he said, in that moment, my eyes were open and I looked unto him. And I saw the value and the beauty of Jesus. Stumbled upon him. That's my story. I stumbled upon Jesus. You say, what do you mean by that? I, I, I showed up at church one Sunday. My mom had to drag me out of bed that Sunday. Pull me out of bed. Josh, you're going to church. I stumbled into church. Sleep in my eyes. <laughs> Ready to just sit there. I wasn't looking for Jesus. Maybe that's your story. Somebody knocked on your door. Let me tell you about Jesus. You come into church one Sunday and your eyes are open to the beauty and the value of Jesus for the very first time. You didn't value Him before, but now you do. You see how beautiful He really is. I walked into church that day, listened to a sermon, and what did the preacher preach? I'm so glad he didn't preach good works and good morals and politicians and government and every other thing you could possibly preach in this world. He preached Him. 
And my eyes were opened to the beauty and the value and the wonder of who Jesus is and I was saved. This next man, well, didn't stumble upon him. He searched for him. You see that? Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking. You see that? Searching. He's going out looking. He's going out, and I like this one. This wasn't me. He was going out looking for truth. He was going out looking for answers. He's going out looking for satisfaction. He's going out, and, and, and they say there's a, a God-sized hole in every single one of us that only God can feel, and everybody's looking, and everybody's searching, and everybody's trying to fill that hole with everything that they can imagine, with all kinds of value, with all kinds of worth, and nothing satisfies but Jesus. And this guy's going out looking. And, and he pictures, what well, this pictures is a man who goes out and he tries every religion in the world. He goes into Hinduism. He goes into Buddhism. He goes into Catholicism. He goes into Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. Every ism that you can find. There's an old preacher that said every ism should become a wasm. <laughs> Rachel, you're laughing at me. Good to have you back. She's the only one. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Searching in every religion and every place that they could find. Searching in atheism. Atheism should become a wasn't. Searching in agnosticism. Everywhere they could look, they're looking for answers. Looking in higher education. Looking in mysticism. Looking for anything to fill that God-sized hole in their heart. And then they stumble upon or come upon a church. That happens to be preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And that preacher stands up. That's why we preach him. Because there are people that are looking. There's people that are searching. There's people that are wanting answers. And we need to be the people that are giving them what they need. We need to be people that are giving them Jesus Christ. That are, that are preaching Him. That's what we need to be giving them. That's what they need. There's a generation out there now that, that, that gets talked about all the time. It's, it's the worst generation. It's a, a lazy generation. It, it's a, I mean, there are all kinds of people talking about the high school age and the college age kids right now. And they're downgrading them and talking bad about them. But what I love about that generation is they want answers. They're looking for truth anywhere they can find it. And if, if they'll find it in a church where somebody's preaching Jesus, they'll stick it out. They'll They'll listen to an hour-long sermon. Give me Jesus. They're searching. They're, they're looking for answers. We have college-age kids here. And some of you here today. We have high school kids here. Some of you here today. And you come to this church because we give you answers to life's greatest problems. And that answer is Jesus Christ. There's so many people out there trying to entertain. Let's entertain the college kids. Let's entertain the high school kids. Let's entertain the little kids. No, 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 no. Let's give them Jesus. Show them the beauty and the value of Jesus Christ. That's what they're looking for and that's what they need. He is the only thing that can fill the God-sized hole in their heart. Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this as we move on. We have what no other religion has. Why would we preach anything else? Charles Spurgeon said, I know I've already mentioned him once, but I can mention him twice. Said, preacher, if your sermon doesn't have any Jesus in it, you go back to the study and you don't come out until it does. Just like all roads lead to Rome, all passages should lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we preach anything else? So let me ask you this Have you discovered the value of Jesus Christ? Looking around the room. John Piper said this agree with him or not? He said, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I don't ask them, have you accepted Jesus? 
I don't ask them if they've asked Jesus into their heart. He said, the question that I ask them is, has Jesus become your treasure? That question can tell me everything that I need to know about you. There are many people who will say, I've accepted Jesus or I've asked Jesus into my heart. But there are very few that can answer the question, has Jesus become your treasure with a, with a definitive yes. So that is my question to you today. Has Jesus become your treasure? Have you discovered him to be the treasure of all treasures of infinite value? Have you found Jesus to be your treasure? The answer to that can tell me everything about your life. Go into a church, I'll say this and I'll move on, and listen to the man preach, and listen to what he says about Jesus, and they'll tell you everything you need to know about that church. Do they have a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ? My only apology here is that my view of Christ can't be higher. Every sermon, every, every time we talk about Jesus, we want it to be high, exalted, and lofty. We want to show you that you may discover the value of Jesus. Let's move to point number two. Not just the priceless discovery. Let me show you the priceless deal. Because you see here, they, when they recognize, and this is good, when they recognize the value of the treasure and the pearl, they must have it. You can recognize it and you can see it. But it's not enough to see the value and to recognize the value. It, you must, and that's them. I, I, I can see it. I see the treasure in the field. I see the pearl over here that I can purchase. But I, I can see it and I can appreciate it and I can value it. But until I have it, it's not good enough. I must have that in my possession. I must, I must uh, own it. I, I must have this. That's the same thing with us. When we see the value of Jesus and how wonderful and beautiful He is, we can't, it's not enough to just say, I see it, I understand it, I appreciate it. It now must become, I must have this. And that's what they have here. Both of them say, I've got to have the treasure. And I will do anything in my power to have it. I will do whatever you ask in order to get it. I will pay whatever price I must pay. Look what they say. How much do they pay? The first man in verse 44, he goes and he sells everything that he has. Do you see that? Sells everything that he has. His house, his farm, his animals, his vineyard, everything that he has. There's nothing left. Everything. Held nothing back. What about the next man? Verse 46. He went and sold all that he had. He gave everything that he had. Everything. He probably had people look at him saying, you're going to give everything you have for one pearl? One pearl. You're going to be sitting out in a ditch somewhere and all you're going to have is a pearl. You're going to be sitting out somewhere not having a house, not having clothes, not having anything, and you're just going to have a pearl. That's all you're going to have. That's crazy. No. It shows that these men were convinced of the priceless value of what they were getting. This was not lip service. They were putting their money where their mouth was. There are many in churches today that will take point number one, the, the priceless discovery, 
And they'll say, yes, Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. Yes, Jesus is priceless. Yes, Jesus is wonderful. Yes, Jesus is beautiful. Yes, Jesus is of eternal value. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. But when you're asked to put your money where your mouth is, where are you? That's where these people are. This is action. They're putting, their again, their money where their mouth is. They went out and they bought, verse 44, and they buy, verse 46. They now have in their possession the priceless treasure and have become rich beyond all measure because they have this one treasure. This is a picture of saving faith, of what it looks like to really believe in Jesus. You say, explain that to me. I'm glad you asked. I've not had many people asking me these things in the last eight weeks. We are convinced as Christians of the infinite value of Jesus. We are totally, utterly, and entirely convinced that he is the most valuable thing in the world. That's who we are. To those who believe, he's precious. He is a treasure of all treasures, and when we see that, we now must have him. We must have him. And we will do anything we can to obtain him. Whatever is asked of us, whatever the Bible tells me I must do to get him, I will do. I remember my mom telling me a story. And I wasn't going to share this. I shared it in the first service, but I wasn't going to because you hear this one. But I love hearing my mom and dad's testimonies of how they came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And if you know my mom, that's why I don't want to tell the story, because she is as shy as they come. But she told me her testimony of being in church and, and having her eyes, and she, she probably didn't understand it then, of having her eyes open to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus for the very first time. I love that. I love knowing how God got to me. How he opened the eyes of my mom and dad, and, and through them it opened my eyes. And my mom's eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit of God to see the value of Jesus. And she told me, I don't know if she remembers telling me this, but she said in that moment, and again, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, this is about my mom, so I hope she don't get mad at me. She won't sing. <laughs> Even when we sing hymns, it's hard to get her to sing. I don't know that I've ever heard her sing in my life. She just won't do it. She's that shy. But she told me that when her eyes were open to see the value and the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is, she said, whatever the preacher would have asked me to do, if he said, the Bible said to get up and sing a solo and you can have Jesus, I would have sang that solo. I would have done whatever it took in that moment for me to have Jesus. I must have Him. Have you ever been to that point where I must have Jesus? And I will do whatever it takes. If it tells me to sing, I'll sing. If it tells me to sell everything that I have, I'll sell everything that I have. I must have Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. So you say, what does the Bible say we must do? Oh, you don't have to buy. There's not enough money in the world to buy Jesus. You don't have to work. You don't have to be good. What he's telling us here is if you want to gain Christ, you need to count the cost. Turn with me to Matthew 16. Just a few pages over. I think it's very relevant to what we're saying here. That just a few passages later, Jesus is going to say this in Matthew 16, verse 24. I've not heard pages turn like that in so long. Music to a preacher's ears. Verse 24. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, hold your finger right there. If any man will have me. If any man will own me. If any man will put their faith in me. Here's what they must do. Look at it. If any man will come after me. I love that. If you want me, here's what you've got to do. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what does a man profit if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is so valuable on this end that you wouldn't be willing to give it up for Jesus on this end? Jesus doesn't want my things. Jesus wants me. All of me. Every bit of me. It doesn't take much of a man to be saved. It just takes all of that man to be saved. The old song says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to his cross I cling. I don't bring nothing. I say no to, it's a complete surrender of who I am and all that I am. The old song says, and you guys know this, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I give. All to Jesus. All to Jesus. All to Jesus. All. I am denying myself and I am following Jesus. That's what it says. All that I am, all that I have, total and complete surrender of self unto Jesus. And then you can have Christ. That's the deal. I've titled this point, The Deal, The Priceless Deal. You must be willing to give up everything to have Christ. That's a high cost, is it not? Why do you think Jesus repeatedly says, count the cost, count the cost, count the cost? There is no low-cost Christianity. There's no low-cost having Jesus Christ. You can't say, well, I'll give up some. The song doesn't say, some to Jesus I surrender. No. All. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You say, that's too high for me. And there are people in this room right now that might say that. That's too high for me. I can't possibly give up everything to follow Jesus. Others would say, that's the deal of a lifetime. That I give up, pay attention to this. That I give up self Self-righteousness and sin. That's what I give up. Can we say that again? That's what I give up. Self, self-righteousness, my own goodness and my own good works. That's what self-righteousness is. I just had to have another S. And I give up sin. Okay, that's, that's, that, that's what we're giving up. And you say, what do we gain? Because that, that's, what, that's what we have to give up. Self, self-righteousness, and sin. I'm giving that up. I'm saying no to that. I'm denying all that. And what do I get in return for all that? This is a deal of a lifetime. If you're paying attention, look what he says. I, I want you to hear this. We get. We give up self, self-righteousness, and sin, and we get. Pay attention to this. Right standing with God. What? There's no price tag for that. I got more. That, that would be enough for me. Here's what you give up. Here's what you get. I give up self. I get right standing with God. I give up sin. I get sins forgiven. I like that. My sins are washed away. All the, the darkest stains of my past are completely washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another one. I get a clear conscience. Who wouldn't pay a million dollars for a clear conscience? There are 
tons of people in the world whose consciences eat at them constantly. What they've done in the past, who they are now, and what their future holds, their consciences eat away at them. And when I get Jesus, I get a completely clear conscience that all of that is gone. I got more. You want more? You get a new life, new start, new heart. You want to start new, brand new? Jesus gives you new life, new start, new heart. Let me give you more. You want more? You get a relationship with Christ. You have union with Him and fellowship with Him. You have abundant life right now in this world. That's what the Bible offers you. Abundant supernatural living right now in this world. And then you get eternal life in heaven later. And I could go on with that. Of all the things that we get when we get Jesus, and it's nothing comparable to what we give up. This is the deal of a lifetime. Can you put a price tag on any of these things? Can you put a price tag on clear conscience? Can you put a price tag on new life, sins forgiven, right standing with God, relationship with Jesus, abundant life? Can you put a price tag on heaven? You can't get any of these things anywhere else but Jesus Christ. He's got a monopoly on forgiveness. He's got a monopoly. You say, what's a monopoly? He's the only one that offers it. He's the only one that offers forgiveness. He's the only one that offers uh, your sins being wiped away. He's the only one that offers a clear conscience. Buddha doesn't offer that. Muhammad doesn't offer that. He's the only one that offers heaven. This is a deal of a lifetime, don't you think? Amazing. We become the richest people on earth. We gain Christ and in Him have all the riches of the world. Infinitely and eternally rich. Not with earth's, and I know some people would catch me on that, not with earth's treasures, but with heaven's treasure. What does heaven value more than anything else? Is it the walls with the gold and the pearls and the, and the golden streets with the sapphire and all the rubies and the jewels? Heaven values Jesus. The angels sing about Jesus. Everything is aimed at Jesus. You go into Revelation chapter 4, into the throne room, and everything is pointed towards Jesus. I, I love that. It, you read that passage. All the angels, all the people, all the elders, everything. It's, it's almost like it turns into an, an arrow pointing to the throne room where you see Jesus in all of His glory. All of heaven values Jesus. He is heaven's treasure. There's no earthly treasure that can compare to heaven's treasure. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish to gain Christ. I'll give you another one if you want it. Philippians, if you want to turn there, you can turn there. I just want to hear more pages turn, to be honest with you. Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you what Paul says about this. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 12, this is, this is how he felt about it. I needed, I needed Paul's thoughts on this. I wanted to know what he thought. And here's what he thinks about it. He gives us a list of everything that he values more than anything else in the world. What if you made a list? Of the, I, I thought about doing that at the introduction of the sermon, that if I ask you to make a list, say this, go into your house and get you a box and get everything that you value the most and put inside of it and take it and bury it outside, what's in that box? What's in the box? Here's Paul telling you what's in his box. Look, look, look what it is. Verse 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, 
If any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Here's, here's, his, here's his items in the box. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. That's his value. He valued him being a Jew and him being a Pharisee more than anything else in the world. And then he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. They were nothing compared to what I gained in Christ. I can go on. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win, gain Christ. All that life had to offer me before, it's nothing now. It's of no good to me now. It's nothing but dung. It's nothing but trash. All that I lost is nothing compared to what I gained when I got Jesus. He is the treasure of all treasures. And it goes on. I like this. And be found in Him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know Him. And this is all that He offers. I said the kingdom of heaven is Jesus and all that He offers. Look what He offers. That I might know Him. That I might have the power of His resurrection. That I might have the fellowship of His sufferings. That I might be made conformable unto His death. That I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Amazing. So that I can apprehend Christ and get everything that He offers. It's nothing compared to everything that I gave up. Ask the disciples. As they're the ones sitting there listening to him tell these stories, they all gave up so, so much. I'll say 11 out of 12 gave up so much. Get this, this is, this is good. 11 out of 12, Judas being one, the one, and Judas valued the earthly treasures more than he valued the heavenly treasures. He valued the coins in his pocket more than he valued Jesus in his soul. But the 11 disciples, other than Judas, Gave up everything to follow Jesus. Everything. They counted the cost. They picked up their cross. They denied themselves. And they followed Jesus. And if you were to go to them right now. And many of them not only gave their life. They went all the way to death. And died for Jesus. And if you were to ask them right now. Do an interview with the. And even Paul. Go, go, go into heaven right now. Sit down with Paul. Do an interview. Ask him some questions. Ask the disciples questions. Ask, ask Matthew. Ask John. Ask Peter. Ask this question. You gave up so much. You gave up everything to follow Christ. You gave up the riches of, of earth. They were fishermen. What a hobby. I mean that's what they did for a living. There are men here. Maybe one sitting back there. They would love to fish for a living. That's what they did. They had families and homes on the seaside. Who wouldn't love to have a home on the seaside? And they gave it all up. Every bit of it. To follow Jesus. So you ask them, was it worth it? I'll, I'll, I'll take it and make it a little bit more personal. Sit down and ask preachers. I talked to Johnny. He was here at the earlier service. Preached for 30 or 40 years. Wasn't popular. Wasn't famous. You guys didn't know Uncle Johnny until he came here, did you? No. 
just preaching away somewhere in Albuquerque, New Mexico with nobody knowing him, nobody talking about him, not making a whole lot of money, drove around in a church van, just preaching the gospel. Gave up everything. Who knows what Johnny could have been? He's brilliant. <laughs> he can do about anything. Gave it all up to follow Jesus and to preach the gospel. I got other guys. There was a guy in California that said he could have been a banker. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was, this is a great story. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in the early 1900s and he was going to be the doctor for the Queen of England. He was going to be doing her checkups. I mean, what a job. He got saved, saw the value and the beauty of Jesus Christ, and he quit that job to become a preacher. On the front page of the London paper the next day, it says, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones quits. Who does that? Look at a preacher. I mean, here, here, I'm talking about myself. Not any popularity. I was talking to a guy the other day outside. He said, I, he said, I've heard some good things about you, preacher. I said, you're not talking to the right people. I said, there's people that you could talk to that would say all kind, a lot of people that say bad things about me. I said, don't find them, but oh, you know they're, they're out there. There's no fame, maybe for Joel Osteen, but not for most preachers that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. No money. Nobody patting you on the back. Ask a preacher. And there's Christians, martyrs. I'm not just going to talk about preachers. There's martyrs that have become historic in what they've given up for Christ. They've become Roman candles. I've, I've talked about that. That, that, that They would take Christians at that time and set them on fire for their garden parties. And that's where the term Roman candle comes from. How can you do that? Who does that? You know who does that? People who believe Jesus is of infinite value. That he's more valuable of everything in this world and even my life in this world. Now back to my original question. You go and interview any of those men. You go and interview Peter. You go and interview Paul. You go and interview John. You go, and inter you go ask Johnny next time you see him. Was it worth it? You go and ask the martyrs, was it worth it? You go and ask Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You went from being a doctor to the Queen of England, the highest position in the world as a doctor, to being a preacher in England. Was it worth it, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Was it worth it? Go and ask any of these men. Go and ask any of the women who's given up life and liberty and limb to, to follow Jesus. Was it worth it? And the answer will become, it was worth it and more. I believe there's going to be a banner in heaven. And I can't prove this. It's not biblical. But I, I can imagine it. That there's going to be a banner in heaven one day that says when we get there, Jesus was worth it. Every bit of it. Every tear. Every struggle. Every dime that we spent. Every church service we attended. Every bit of it. Jesus was worth it all. Why? Because we've given up dirt for diamonds when we get Jesus. We've given up guilt for grace. We've given up sin for salvation, emptiness for fullness, and we've given up hell for heaven. And we've done it with a big old smile on our face because we believe Jesus is of infinite value. I've got to move on. I'm running out of time. But let me show you point number three. 
It's hard to, to fit in a time when you're preaching Christ. <laughs> let, me, let me show you this and we'll close. You guys wish you were on Facebook Live in your pajamas, eating lunch without me looking at your faces. You can turn me off. Pause me, right? Can't do it now. Nobody out there saying, pause, Josh, pause, Josh, pause, Josh. You can try, but it ain't working. I've showed you the priceless discovery. Let me show you the, I've showed you the priceless deal. Let me show you the priceless delight. Notice this point isn't the, the dis- disappointment. It's the delight. Look at verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, for which when a man hath found it, he hideth it. And they, they say these are the three key words for this passage. And for joy. And for joy. Those are the three most important words in this passage. It's not and in disappointment. It's and for joy. This word joy means he's rejoicing. He's ecstatic. I looked these words up. I want you to see what this word means. He's elated. He's euphoric. He's overjoyed. He's happy. These are big words. He's excited that he found this treasure. He's excited. Most of the time, if you, if you gave up everything and sold everything that you had, there'd be disappointment, there'd be sadness, it would be hard, it would be bad. But this man gave everything up and for joy. And for joy. He's happy about it. Get this, when you find a treasure, you're usually happy about it. I've watched every Indiana Jones movie that there is, and every time he finds a treasure, he smiles about it. Have you ever gotten a jacket pocket and pulled out a $20 bill? Nobody ever does that and says, oh, man, I can't believe I found that. Bad news today. Everybody's happy about it. When you, when you wake up and the government sent you $1,000 like they just did in the bank account, you don't say, oh, you're happy when you get a treasure. You're happy when that happens. And, and that's what he is here. He's not upset about it. You know what he's doing? When he saw it, his eyes lit up. When he saw it, his heart started pounding. When he saw it, his feet were kicking in the air. I found the greatest treasure in the history of the world. Wouldn't you be happy? Now let me say this. There's a whole lot of Christians sitting in pews that don't act too happy about finding the greatest treasure in the world. That's just a matter of fact. We look like it's the worst thing that ever happened to us. I gave up all my fun. I gave up all my happiness. I renounced all joy when I, get, when I went to Jesus Christ. Now I'm living a life of nonstop rules and guilt. This is the worst life you could ever imagine. But thank God I get heaven. Misery here is better than misery there. That's how a lot of people act. We don't act like Jesus is the greatest treasure in the history of the world, do we? That's not how we act. We act like it's, it, it's the worst news ever. But not these guys, man. They are as happy as they can be. This is a deal of a lifetime. A purchase of a lifetime. It's not and with sadness. It's and with joy. They got smiles on their faces. They can't believe what they have found. Don't ever act like Christians are poor, pitiful me. (laughs) We're the richest people on the planet. No. I didn't get misery. I got joy. I got a thousand times joy. We need to see the joy of obtaining Christ. The joy of receiving Christ. The joy of having Christ. That the joy of Christ far surpasses anything we will ever give up in this world. Because there's nothing like Him. 
can you imagine if when me and Steph got married and she stood up in front of the preacher in front of all the people that were there and said, I renounce all happiness from here on. I'm going to miss out on all those other men. But I'm going to marry Josh. I have to. It's the right thing to do. I'll be like, wow, thanks. You know. Do you ever think that might be how Jesus feels? When we sit there, I had to give up everything. I used to live such a fun life. All those people out there are having so much fun. Look, they're smiling. They're happy. They're doing everything that I wish I was doing. Look at poor pitiful old me. I've given up so much. That's not Christianity. And that's not how we should portray it. I don't ever want these kids sitting in here in this room and these teenagers that are here tonight, I don't, or this morning, I don't I want you ever to think that we are sad because we're Christians. It's the greatest thing in the world to be a Christian and to have Jesus Christ. That's how we need to show it. That it is a delight to be a Christian. I am glad. There's nothing in the world for me. I have gained everything in Christ. That's what he's showing these disciples. Everything that you've given up, it, it, it ain't worth it anyway. You have joy and delight in having me. When Steph married me, I wanted, I wanted her. She may not think that way, but I wanted her to say I gave up everything in this world for Josh, but in Josh I found everything I've ever been looking for. Two, three, four, five, six kids. I found everything. <laughs> and I, I think that's what Jesus would want us to say. I gave up everything. Everything. But I found everything in him. There's no relationship like Jesus Christ. There's no money that is greater than Jesus Christ. There's no job, there's no pursuit, there's no hobby that is greater than Jesus Christ. We live in a quarantine age when they have taken everything away from us. You get that? I sit down one day and I thought, they've taken everything I love away. They've taken away my sports. <laughs> I sit there and watch baseball games from the 1990s. I mean, it's just, uh, they, they've taken that away. I love sports. I, I love it. I've not, I've not seen a, a real, actual sporting event in so long. I, they, they, that's been taken away in the quarantine. I love church. I love church sometimes where it's, it's not even healthy. I mean, I, I need this. I, I could preach here for an hour and a half today just because I see faces. I love this. They took it away from me. You know what else I love? I love lifting weights. And Steph will tell you, it's almost unhealthy how much I love lifting weights. It's almost an idol. I have to tell myself no sometimes just because it, it's too much. And that's been taken away from me. But there's one thing they cannot take away from me Jesus Christ he is the essential thing that cannot be taken away in life and in death he is the, the treasure of all treasures and there's nobody that can take him away from us and because of that I don't have sports I don't have people in front of me I miss hugging people I miss shaking hands they can take that away from me they can take me getting out and going to Little Mexico away from me. I miss that bag of chips. They can take that away from me. 
They can take so many things away from me. They can take my lifting away from me. I mean, you, you just take all those things that I love and that, that I value, and it's being taken away, stripped away from us, but they cannot take Jesus away. And in Jesus, I have the greatest joy. That's why we can smile through all this. We still have the greatest treasure in the history of the world. We still have Jesus. Some people, i, I got to get going. I'm, I'm running out of time. You guys knew I'd do this to you today. <laughs> you, you, some people in some places act like it's the worst thing in the world to be saved. You listen to some preachers that never smile one time, just mad all the time. Is there no joy in you? <laughs> Some, some churches, when they sing, even this, this morning, we, we, we sing victory in Jesus. We sing Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me what? Singing as I go. Man, we sing about Jesus here. He's the one that is the joy of our hearts. He's given us our greatest delight. And i got to close. We are rich beyond our wildest dreams in Christ. He will guide us in all of our confusions he will comfort us in all of our sorrows. Oh, and He will. How many sorrows have you been through and Jesus is the one who comforted you? He will rebuke us in all of our wonderings. Oh, He does that to me. He preserves us through all of our dangers and one day He'll bring us safely home at last. And all that makes Jesus the priceless treasure. And we can say that with a smile on our face. Can we not? We can say what the psalmist said in Psalm 19.10 that he's more desired than gold, yea, much fine gold. And he's sweeter also than the honey from the honeycomb. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. So as I close, I want to ask you, do you see the incomparable value of Jesus Christ? Do you see it? Do you understand it? As an old Puritan said, the greatest error of the Christian religion is that they don't make enough of it, which means they don't value it like they should. We don't value Him. We don't prioritize Him. My prayer today for you is, and for us, for me, is that maybe today we've seen the utmost value of Jesus and we will live in accordance to that value. That's my prayer for you, that to you Jesus will be the treasure of all treasures. That if I looked at you today and said, is he your treasure? You would say, yes, he is. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. And my eyes have been opened to the value of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, and I would assume most of you here today are saved. But I have to do this because there's people online. That's the first time I've looked at the camera this morning. There's people online that are unbelievers. I don't know if there's anybody here that are unbelievers. But let me ask you this. Is he your treasure? Same thing John Popper asked. Is he your treasure? Have you found in Jesus to be the treasure of all treasures? Not have you accepted him, not have you asked him into your heart, but is he your treasure? That's the question. Can you say yes to that? That I would be willing, I'm not saying you have to, but I would be willing to give up everything to gain Christ. He is that valuable to me. He is that beautiful to me. He is that worthy that I would give up everything to gain Christ. Then let me say this to you today. I, I, I think this is a good picture to give you. He, that treasure, has been pulled out of this old, poverty-stricken, bankrupt, cursed field and has been placed in front of you today. Here he is. 
He's placed before you and you can have him as your treasure. He is offered to you. Here is the priceless treasure that you can have. And all you have to do is it's scooted across the table to you is say, I believe. With empty hands I come and I take the treasure to be my very own. And you can walk out of here the richest man or woman on the face of the planet because you have gained the greatest treasure in the history of the world. Now let me say this. That offer is made. Here he is. Isn't that amazing that in church we offer the greatest treasure in the history of the world every single Sunday? It's like we just place Christ up there and say, you can have him. But if you turn down this offer, you walk away with absolutely nothing in poverty. But if you believe and you take him as your very own, you walk away with absolutely everything. What a tragedy to die and have everything but Jesus. And there will be people who die and have everything. But they die without Jesus. But what a victory to die and have nothing. But the one thing that truly matters. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the priceless treasure. Let's pray. Father we thank you. For this reminder today. And it has been a reminder to us. Of just how valuable and how wonderful and how beautiful and how sweet our Savior is. And God, I pray for the Christians that are here today that we would see that and we would place Him as the top value, the top priority in our life. And that we would live for Him with joy, with delight. And God, if there's anybody here that's un, an unbeliever or anybody online that's an unbeliever, that you would, God, by the power of your word, open up your, their eyes and by the power of your spirit that they may see him for who he is and believe today and take him as their very own treasure. Please, God, do, do that work that I can't do. I can point him out, but until you open their eyes, they'll never see. They'll never understand. And they'll never obtain Jesus. So may you do that work. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.